You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Today, what we're going to do, um, because this is an uncommon opponent, talking about the New England Patriots, we're going to get started right here, right now, looking at the Patriots, learning a little bit about the Patriots. Something, something Patriots. Um, So I think the way that I want to start, aside from just zooming all the way out, I also want to make it a point to sort of dispel the idea that this garbage team is coming to Green Bay and we're going to just cast it off and there's no reason to be concerned whatsoever because they're basically a high school football team. I'm not sure if that's your thought process, but that's just what I want to dispel because that's kind of what's floating around in the back of my head. Patriots suck. Their offense sucks. Everything sucks. They're going to get smoked. If they get a touchdown, we're failures, especially after they lost their quarterback, which already wasn't very good. Let's start with that by doing a little thing here. I want to back up and look at last year's Patriots team, look at why they were last year's Patriots team, and maybe what's a little bit different about this year's Patriots team. Just last year, the New England Patriots ranked sixth in points scored, second in points allowed. If you're just looking at points, which Some people might think it's an overrated metric. I tend to think it's underrated considering points is exactly how you win or lose games. It's the only thing that matters in a football game. not saying it's the only metric that matters, but it's pretty important, right? More points you score, the more likely you are to win. Less points you allow, more... It's important. Sixth in points scored, second in points allowed. Another very important metric that tends to correlate to very good teams, winning Super Bowls, etc., is point differential, which is... When you beat a team, by how many teams do you beat that team? So if you play, just for the sake of easy math, 10 games, and you beat a team by an average of 10 points per game, your point differential would be 100 points. And really, all we're doing is looking at how good your offense is and how good your defense is, right? Because if you beat a team by 20 points, it's probably the case that you have a good offense and a good defense. It's hard for a team to score 30 points and you beat them by 20. I mean, you could score 50, but either way, the point differential still matters because in order to overcome a team by 20, something has to be very, very good. Either your offense and your defense are very good, you know, 10 to 30, or 20 to 0, which is still 
and an unbelievable accomplishment for your defense. Or again, 30 to 50, which is unheard of for an offense. Anyways, point differential. Number one team in football last year was the Buffalo Bills. Number two, Dallas Cowboys. Number three, New England Patriots. Followed by Tampa, Kansas City, and the Rams. If you look at DVOA, just a different metric, it's kind of how good you are adjusted for how good or bad your opponent was, if we were to use very layman language. The New England Patriots ranked fourth. Dallas number one, Buffalo number two, Tampa Bay number three, New England number four, followed by the LA Rams, kind of the same um, pile of teams. If you look at weighted DVOA, which is looking specifically or weighting the end of the season heavier than the beginning of the season, because it's sort of closer replication of what you are now, representation. Not a, we're not creating it again. New England Patriots were second behind only Dallas. Offensive DVOA, they ranked ninth. Defensive DVOA, they ranked fourth. So how do they get to second if they're ninth and fourth? Because most teams are worse in one category of the or the other. Buffalo was number one on defense, but 10th on offense. Tampa was first and ninth, et cetera, et cetera. Kansas City, third on offense, 24th on defense. If you look at PFF, they rank third overall. Second overall offensive grade and do 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 eighth overall defensive grade. So there was no metric out there that existed that said New England was anything other than one of the best teams in football. There wasn't one. I want to show you something else too. Looking at well, let's first of all, this year the New England Patriots are 1 and 2 is their record right now. Last year they started the season um one and two. They didn't really hit their hot streak until after they were two and four. They lost to Miami. They beat the Jets because the Jets are garbage. They lost to the Saints. They lost to the Bucks. Then they beat the Texans because the Texans are garbage. Then they lost to Dallas. So, so far, they've beaten up on two really bad teams and lost to every team that's even halfway competent. Then they went on a seven-game winning streak. They beat the Jets, the Chargers, the Panthers, the Browns, the Falcons, the Titans, and the Buffalo Bills. Now, I think I've talked about this team before and kind of highlighted a couple points. Number one, again, they started really poorly. They also ended really poorly. After their bye week, they lost to Indianapolis. They lost to Buffalo. They beat the Jacksonville Jaguars, and then they lost to the Miami Dolphins. They snuck their way into the playoffs and then got creamed 17 to 47 by the Buffalo Bills. Now, I'm just I'm trying to be as, as positive for the Patriots as possible. But since we're sitting here. Let's take a closer look. Again, they beat the Jets. Who cares? They beat the Panthers. Who cares? They beat the Browns. Who cares? The Falcons. Who cares? Um, but there were a couple teams that they beat that were actually pretty decent. In fact, there were three because they had the other only other team they beat was the Jacksonville Jaguars. Who cares? They beat the Chargers. This was a 27 to 24 victory. They smashed Tennessee 36 to 13. But remember, there's that weird thing between Belichick and Vrabel. It's a very weird thing. I mean, if the Patriots are really, really good, Vrabel will be the only guy that beats them. And this is the opposite situation where I think New England maybe wasn't super great, but, you know, Belichick got the upper hand on them. And then Buffalo. But remember, Buffalo 14-10, to I'm quite positive this was the wind storm of the century. And we saw the rematch just three weeks later, and they lost 33-21. to So, look... 
when they beat teams, sometimes they smashed them. The New York Jets, they beat 54 to 13. The Cleveland Browns, they beat 45 to 7. The Falcons, they beat 25 to 0. The Titans, they beat 36 to 13. The Jacksonville Jaguars, the only game they won after their bye week, they beat them 50 to 10. And this is sort of the point, the problem I had last year with point differential. With Buffalo and with New England, they were two teams that had really high point differentials because when they beat teams, they smashed the living daylights out of them, but they lost way too many times in too many games and just didn't feel like teams that were going to be able to win successfully, consistently throughout the playoffs against the toughest teams. And New England absolutely would never be able to do that. But if you just look at point differential, it'll tell you, no, they're, they're going to be a really prominent team. And I'm looking at it saying, I'm telling you they're not. So all of the metrics point to New England being one of the best teams. Even DVOA, which is supposed to adjust for these kinds of things, and I'm guessing the reason why is because they didn't just beat the Jets, they annihilated the Jets. The problem, though, is that every time they went up against a competent team, they lost. So DVOA is still going to be really high based on the way that that metric is set up, but if you just look at this, I could tell you very confidently they're not going to make it through the playoffs. What happens when they go up against playoff caliber teams? Saints lost, Buccaneers lost, Cowboys lost, Chargers didn't go to the playoffs. In fact, if you look at teams and what they did against playoff caliber teams, first of all, New England only played five of them. That's the lowest of anybody in the entire NFL tied with Tampa Bay. Only five playoff teams. Green Bay only played six, by the way. But the Packers were five and one against playoff teams. New England was two and three. They beat two playoff caliber teams. All year, that's it. The Packers beating five is second most behind only Kansas City, who was forced to play nine playoff teams, and they went six and three against those teams. By the way, their top-tier point differential was still positive, but it dropped all the way down to 11th overall with a point differential of seven in five games, which is to say they're roughly beating those teams by a point. I'm actually astonished at how many teams that are really good teams ended up playing teams with... No, um, that didn't make the playoffs. Tampa Bay and New England. Tampa Bay in particular. How does Tampa Bay, who just came off a Super Bowl, play 12 teams that missed the playoffs? Even the Packers with 11. Chicago played eight. (laughs) I mean, I know the, the, the Packers are two of those games, so that's fair, I guess, but still. I mean, the Chiefs were down there with eight. Chiefs got dumped on. Everybody else was like, oh, the, the, the other playoff teams, you guys will... You guys can pick up the garbage, but that point differential, Buffalo, New England, Tampa, even Philly, they just curb stomped really bad teams is what they did. Buffalo, um, nine and two against teams that missed the playoff. Tampa, nine and three against teams that missed the playoffs. So that's kind of the picture of New England last year. All the metrics said you better watch out because from a point standpoint, they scored a lot of points sometimes, right? I mean, 54 and 50 is insane. I talked about this not too long ago, how the when I was going over the games, the Patriots at home are a different animal. Now, they're not at home, but a uh, very different animal. 54, 50, 45, 36, and 29 are the highest scoring games they had. All of them were at home. The most amount of points that they scored on the road was 27. The most amount of points they scored on the road against a playoff team was 17. That just so happens to be the playoff game played in Buffalo. If you don't include the playoffs, then it would... The only uh, game that <laughs> um, the only game they played on the road against a playoff caliber team, they scored 14 points. It was when they 
beat Buffalo 14 to 10. That's it. Every single playoff game outside of the two Buffalo games, every single game played against a playoff team was at home. Well, do that for the Packers. See how the Packers did. All right. Well, they uh, beat Arizona when their whole team was down on the road, 24-21. They beat the Cincinnati Bengals, who were in the Super Bowl, 25-22. They beat the San Francisco 49ers in San Francisco, 30-28. And then they lost to Kansas City, 7-13, when Aaron Rodgers didn't play. So, you know, I mean, Rodgers is in that. Obviously, we dominate that game, too. So you can call it 3-0, and you can call it 3-1, and you can call it 4-0. and I don't care what you call it. 4-0 and is probably the most accurate, but we'll go with 3-0. We'll and Unless you think Rodgers isn't going to play in this game, in which case then we could have a different discussion. But by the way, speaking of, Packers are playing at home, and the Patriots aren't a playoff caliber team. So it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's you know, if we want to pick on the Patriots and try to compare that to the Packers, there you go. But that doesn't really relate to what we're talking about here, where the Patriots are going up against a playoff-caliber team on the road. At least we assume it's a playoff-caliber team. And I do. So, another question about last year compared to this year, and we don't have a big enough sample size necessarily for this year, but it's still interesting to look at. One of the things I like to do later in the season is kind of look at what typically causes the team to win or lose. Um, The New England Patriots were one of those teams that 24 is that magic number just kind of is for most teams. Um, When the Patriots scored 24 points or more, they were 10 and 2. When their defense allowed 24 points or less, they were 10 and 2. That is to say they were 0 and 6 when a team scores more than 24. They were 0 and 6 when their team, yeah, 0 and 6 when their team scored less than 24. For most teams, turnovers are a big deal. The Patriots, it's definitely a very big deal. Um, They were undefeated when they had one turnover or less. They were 2-8 and eight with two or more turnovers. The Patriots are also undefeated, undefeated when they won the turnover battle. Cleveland Browns, they had one. The other team had zero, so it was 1-0. Chargers was 2-1. They won that game. Then they had 3-3-3-4-4-4. Three, 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 four, four, four. They had a lot of turnovers last year. They won all those games where they had three or more turnovers. Um, only game that was kind of close, the Carolina Panthers had two in return. That still has them a net positive turnover rate of one. And then the other thing that was very important for them was running the football and stopping the run. When they got to 100 yards rushing or more, they were 10 and 4. They didn't win a single game when they had under 100 yards rushing. For the other team, or for their defense, when they held a team to under, so 100 yards is a solid line. Usually it's a kind of a weird line and offense and defense are kind of different, their own lines. Patriots are right at 100 on both offense and defense. 7 and 1 when they kept a team under 100 yards. Three and seven when the team got over 100 yards rushing. All right, so these are just kind of benchmarks. If you cross some of these, these are how you win the game. These are how you lose the game. How is that holding up this year? Score 24 or more points and you win. Well, they scored 26 against the Baltimore Ravens and lost. All right, so that's no good. 24 or less points and you win. Well, they allowed 20 against Miami and lost. They allowed 14 against Pittsburgh and won. But... The point is, um, the bar on defense seems to be quite a bit lower. What does that indicate? The offense is really bad. Now, again, they weren't undefeated in every one of these categories on the other end. So this could just be somewhat of an outlier. We need more games to kind of get a more fine-tuned number. But so far, it's not holding up, and it's, it's the offense that's not holding up its end of the bargain. The only game they won, they won because of the defense. 
And the only reason they won it is because the defense held them to 14 points. It was 14 to 17 against Pittsburgh. All right. What about uh, rush yards? If you get over 100 yards, you typically win. Well, under 100 yards, they lost to Miami. So that holds up. What about over 100 yards? Well, they got 124 against Pittsburgh and won. They got 145 against Baltimore and lost. All right. What about the other end? If a team scores over or rushes for over 100 yards, you lose. That's true. Baltimore ran for 188 yards and they lost. But the other two games, the two teams ran for less yards. 91 yards the Pittsburgh uh, Steelers ran against. They won that game. The Dolphins only ran for 65 yards and the Dolphins beat the Patriots. So some of these things are not exactly holding up. The turnovers are, though. That's a critical factor for them. And that's going to be critical for us, for a team that's kind of put some balls on the ground already. Dobbs has is, is put one on the ground. He recovered it. Aaron Jones last week. Who the heck was it the week before that, that put one on the ground? Oh, there was the exchange. All right, the, the, the ball has hit the ground way too many times. There's probably not going to be a lot of turnovers, but that's a critical thing. They turn, and by the way, New England turns the ball over a lot. So winning that point differential is going to be, or that, that turnover differential is going to be important. And part of the equation is taking the ball away. And the Packers have done a pretty good job of that. But against the Baltimore Ravens, they turned the ball over four times. They got two turnovers, but they still lost by two because they gave the ball away four times. Against Miami, they didn't have any turnovers and Miami got the ball. In other words, the, the Patriots turned the ball over three times. Against the Pittsburgh Steelers, they only turned it over once, and the defense got the ball twice. Lo and behold, they won the game. Barely, but they won the game. So we need to win the turnover battle. That's the one thing that seems to be holding up here. It's the only thing that seems to be working for the Patriots at all is the fact that they've got four turnovers so far this season. 12th in turnovers, 10th in uh, fumble recoveries. So there's that. I mean, they're 25th in points, 22nd in points allowed. They're 31st in turnovers, so that's, again, that's a big thing. Now, again, Mac Jones is not going to be playing in this game. He's tied for the league lead in, in turnovers with Matt Stafford and Jameis Winston with five. So that may actually work in their favor to not have Mac Jones throwing the football. It's kind of similar to the San Francisco 49ers situation where, you know, you were a bad team and then you lost your starting quarterback. Now you're even worse. Well, no, I think they might be a little better. Mac Jones is struggling. Two touchdowns and five interceptions is not great. In fact, that might be the worst touchdown-interception ratio of anybody. But with that said, if Bailey Zappi's the guy, he had one touchdown and three interceptions in the preseason. And Brian Hoyer isn't necessarily the best at protecting the football either. In the last two years combined, because he hasn't thrown that much, one touchdown, one interception. 2019 in Indianapolis, he had four touchdowns, four interceptions. Um, 2017, four touchdowns, four interceptions. His stint with the Bears is the best he's ever been. Six touchdowns, no interceptions. Cleveland, 12 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. So um, in his career, 53 touchdowns, 39 interceptions. He's probably the safest option, which is why I tend to think they go with Brian Hoyer in this game. But if they don't care and just want to roll the dice and see what they have in Bailey Zappi, just, just throwing up a Hail Mary, then cool, good. So that's going to be it as far as just kind of looking at last year and whatnot. Uh, I want to take the break here and then kind of come back, see what's changed, maybe for the better, maybe for the worse, and um, see what they're up to this year. And of course, how that kind of, eh, maybe we won't touch on that. We'll save that for another day. Anyways, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you'd like to support this podcast. Thanks again, and I'm just going to keep saying it until somebody new comes along. To Char and Mr. Motorcycle. Heck, why not? And Tommy and Vicky Davies. These are the new September patrons. Is that it or are there more? No, we got Robert, 
And also Brian upped his pledge. Thank you guys for your support. Really means a lot. Also, do not forget about Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. You can find links pinned to the top of my Twitter, as well as the, pack, the top of the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Or just go to FertileGroundRanch.org to get more information. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So I mentioned on PFF they were uh, the third highest graded team. They had a 92.2 overall grade. So who the heck are these people? Because remember, their grade isn't based on team performance. It's looking at all the players put together. So there's a lot of really good players on these teams, apparently. Well, let's take a little look-see. On their offense, out of 33 players, 15, half of their team had 70 or higher overall grades, which is quite high. Now, obviously not everybody was a starter and played a ton, but that's still pretty astounding that that many people were that good. The players included, and I'm, well, no, I'll list them all. Hunter Henry, tight end, guard Ted Karras, Brandon Bolden at halfback, Trent Brown, the tackle, Jacoby Myers, wide receiver, Isaiah Wynn, tackle, Kendrick Bourne, wide receiver, James White didn't play a ton, but good. David Andrews at center, Mac Jones at quarterback, 80 overall grade. Ramondre Stevenson, uh, Brian Hoyer, Shaq Mason, Damian Harris, Michael Anwinu. 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 I know. I know the thing. 
So just going through the offense, quarterback Mac Jones had an 80 overall grade, and his backup Brian Hoyer, 83.6. That helps when your quarterback is doing kind of a good job. Now, he wasn't perfect all year, and obviously there were a lot of losses and all these kinds of things, but the point is, he was obviously a major contributor to them being good in those moments when they were very good, when they scored a bunch of billion, zillion points and whatnot. Mackie Jones, man. And so the point is, we can sit here and say, well, he's bad this year, and by him leaving, the team is better. Okay, fine. But we're talking about what made them good last year, and Mac Jones was a big part of that. Whether he plays and is not the same guy he was or just doesn't play at all has the exact same effect. The thing that made them good last year, one of them, Mac Jones, is gone. Looking at the receivers, Jacoby Myers was a big part of their uh, offense. It was their number one wide receiver. He's off to a pretty decent start this year. Last year, he had 906 yards, 74 overall grade. So far, 150 yards, 73 overall grade. So same dude. Number two wide receiver is Kendrick Bourne. Kendrick Bourne is absolutely tearing it up. 115 yards, no touchdowns, but an 85 overall grade. After that, their uh, number three receiver, essentially, was Hunter Henry, the tight end. Henry has not been producing. 28 receiving yards, no touchdowns, 44 overall grade. I don't know what the problem is with Hunter Henry. He's not even 28 years old, so it's not like an age thing, but it is not working. The next receiver was Nelson Aguilar. 491 yards, 65 overall grade, three touchdowns. He's pretty much on the same track. He does have 179 yards and a touchdown, which is obviously on track for more, but that was a 110-yard and one-touchdown game against Pittsburgh. But um, yeah, more or less on that same track. So the receivers are about the same. The big massive difference here is that tight end Hunter Henry is really not contributing. The other important note is that they added Devontae Parker out of Miami. Devontae Parker is actually number two on their team in terms of receptions. However, again, that's because of one game. In the first two weeks, he had nine yards. Against week uh, against Baltimore, week three, 156 yards. So again, they've got a pile of wide receivers. It seems like they're decent enough options. These are not necessarily big name guys. I know Devontae Parker is not a bad wide receiver, but you know, it's a middling group of decent options. Nelson Aguilar, Devontae Parker, Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne. Tight end Jonu Smith, also not really doing very much of anything. Not really noteworthy. So everything with the receiving group stays about the same. They added Devontae Parker. There you go. The running game, still Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, still a really solid group of running backs. Both guys last year had 4.5 yards per carry. Damian Harris, 15 touchdowns compared to Ramondre Stevenson's five. It's obvious which one was the goal line guy. So far, Damian Harris, 4.6 yards per carry. Ramondre, 5.0 yards per carry. They're picking up right where they left off. No real change there. So running back wide receiver, still about the same. On the offensive line, they've got the same tackles, but for some reason or another, swapped them. So it used to be Trent Brown right tackle, Isaiah Wynn left tackle. They swapped them. Nothing really changes there in terms of playability. They just switch sides. When you move inside, though, is when you start to see some of the complications. Left guard Ted Karras went to go play for the Cincinnati Bengals. He's doing a decent enough job over in Cincinnati, believe it or not, just like he did in New England. Now they have rookie Cole Strange. Cole Strange right now, 59 overall grade, 57 run blocking, 58 pass blocking. He's already given up six pressures, including a sack, a hit, and four hurries so far in three weeks this this year. That's a pretty big downgrade for them. 
The center stays David Andrews, but David Andrews is really, really struggling for some reason. David Andrews was one of the better centers in football last year, 80 overall grade, 80 run blocking, 73 pass blocking. This year, so just for context, he gave up 18 pressures in total, only one sack last year. So far this year, he's given up five pressures, including one sack already. He has a 44 pass blocking grade. Now, I don't know if this has to do with the changes at the guard positions that are kind of causing problems or what, but it's an issue. He went from one of the better centers to one of the worst pass-blocking centers in football over the last three weeks. And no, it's not a matter of, well, he was bad week one, but things are getting better. His worst week came week three against Baltimore. He also had a bad week against Miami, so no, it wasn't just one bad week and then a bunch of good weeks. Week one and three were really bad. And then right guard, although it's not bad, I just told you Onwenu is actually pretty decent, 83 pass-blocking grade. The problem is, he used to be Shaq Mason. Shaq Mason's the guy we just faced in Tampa Bay. Shaq Mason was one of the better guards in all of football. He's gone now. And now it's Michael Unwinu. But again, he's not bad. He's solid. But he's not Shaq Mason. So basically, the interior of the offensive line for the Patriots has kind of gone down a bit. But the biggest thing, on top of the interior going away, is the quarterback situation, which went from pretty solid, including Brian Hoyer actually grading out really well, to a complete disaster. On the defensive side of the ball, not nearly as uh, positive, believe it or not, despite having really good stats and everything else, but what they did have was some pretty solid players in pretty important positions. Safety Kyle Duggar, linebacker Kyle Van Noy, Devin McCourty, J.C. Jackson in the corner, Adrian Phillips the safety, Jamie Collins the linebacker. All right, guys with really good coverage grades. Kyle Duggar, safety, Devin McCourty, safety, J.C. Jackson, corner, Adrian Phillips, safety, and then Kyle Van Noy and Jamie Collins, the linebackers. Really, really solid in coverage. J.C. Jackson, who was not only their number one corner in terms of snaps, but was by far their best corner on the team. He is now with the the L.A. Chargers. Playing terribly, by the way, (laughs) which tends to happen with people in New England. New England has this magical ability of making... Guys seem really good, and then they go other places like, oh, no, I was just good with what they did. I'm, I'm not, like, good, good, just like in general. The number two corner in terms of snaps was Jalen Mills. Jalen Mills has never really been all that great. Uh, his best year looks like 2020 with his final year in Philly, 68.9 overall grade. He currently has a 29.3 overall grade. His best day, best game was week one, 50 overall grade, 36 tackling grade, 46 coverage grade. He's been targeted 17 times, 11 of those are caught for 173 yards with a touchdown and a pick. Now what they did do is elevate Jonathan, Jonathan Jones to kind of be that uh, the guy next to Mills, which doesn't seem like a great idea because he's a 2016 undrafted free agent, but he's doing okay. And actually the last time he was a full-time starter, the last several times, he's actually been quite solid. He's got nine targets, six receptions, and a pick through three weeks of being a full-time starter at corner. So clearly Jalen Mills is the guy everyone's picking on. Nobody's throwing at Jonathan Jones. By the way, blazing speed, 5'10", 190, 433 speed. Guy's going to ruin all our fun with Christian Watson. <laughs> it's the only thing that those two guys can do is run fast. But anyways, the important part to keep in the back of your mind is that they had one real top-tier corner in J.C. Jackson, and he's gone. And then the two pretty solid safeties are still there in Devin McCourty and Adrian Phillips. Adrian Phillips is off to a... I would say uncharacteristically slow start, but that's really not true. Last year, he had an 80 overall grade, 2019-87, but other than that, he lives in the 60s, and that's where he's at right now. 
So more than likely, this is just a pretty normal, mediocre year for Adrian Phillips, like it was two years ago in New England. McCourty's technically having a down year overall, but that's mostly just because of a really bad game against Baltimore. You're bound to have a bad game, and when you've only played three, it's going to weigh pretty heavily. But I kind of more or less expect him to be able to rebound. So the DBs are still the DBs, right? And remember, the turnovers are important, and they still have some pretty good DBs. They got that undrafted free agent that somehow seems pretty good. I don't know. And then they still got their safeties who, you know, Patriots have had some pretty solid safeties for a while, and it's worked to their benefit. However, number one linebacker Kyle Van Noy, guy that, remember, was real solid in coverage last year, all that stuff, solid linebacker. He is also with the Chargers. He's gone. Is he not doing as well? Yes, that's that's correct. He's not doing as well, but he's gone. Linebacker Juwan Bentley is still there, and he's still not a very good linebacker. Linebacker Dante Hightower, I believe, retired. He is not playing this year. Maybe he's hurt. I don't know. But Dante Hightower, their linebacker number three, is also gone. Same is true of Jamie Collins, who played for New England down the stretch last year from week five on. He's gone. So of their four you know, linebackers that they use somewhat regularly, three of them are gone. And their number one linebacker, again, is Juwan Bentley. After that, they have rookie Mac Wilson, and that guy is terrible. I mean, terrible. Played for Cleveland for three years. Uh, <laughs> he must have made an impression in year three. His, his grades in the three years, 41, 41, 75. Now, his snap counts went down significantly every year because he was so bad, but 75, and then New England's like, all right, let's give this guy a shot. I, you know, see what he can do. We're definitely in need, right? We're struggling here. 30 overall grade so far. He has eight tackles and four missed tackles. He has four missed tackles in three weeks. Also, 10 targets, eight receptions, 77 yards, and a touchdown is what he's given up through the year. Mac Wilson is a massive, massive downgrade, and he is their linebacker number two right now. After that, they have Raekwon McMillan. Have you, how, how long has it been since you heard that guy's name? Another second-round pick that seemingly was supposed to be pretty good. His two years in Miami, he was graded out as average. Then he went to the Las Vegas Raiders, and his snap counts fell off. He must have been some rotational guy, 30 overall grade. Now he's in New England as their third linebacker. He has a 28 overall grade so far. He's, he hasn't played a ton. 54 snaps, only 33 in coverage, but four targets, four receptions, and 39 yards just in that limited time. In fact, that was just in one game. Otherwise, he's made basically no impact. He did have four tackles once, but it is a disaster. They have one mediocre linebacker and two complete draft bust nightmares at linebacker. The defensive tackles, in order of played the most, and we won't include the guys that had like 30 snaps, but David Godshaw, however you say his name, he's still with the team, 63 overall grade last year, 61 this year, very consistent with being, you know, average. His pressures, 17 on 342, so obviously that is terrible, terrible pass rusher. And uh, 65 run defense is what he's been pretty much every year of his career, so that's what he is. He is a mediocre defensive tackle that is not a pass rush threat. So far this year, three pressures on 51 attempts. A little better than normal for him, I suppose, but he's right on track for being the exact same guy he's always been. Christian Barmore is the uh, second round pick out of Alabama, real big, scary Alabama guy. Um, so far, he's what he is is a, a more of a pass rush guy, but he's a terrible run defender. He had 51 pressures and two sacks on 412 attempts, which is not that impressive, but at least he cracked 10%. So far this year, seven pressures and a sack on 73 attempts, but his run defense, 44 overall grade, 38 overall grade. So those are the top two guys. You got one guy that's just there. And another guy that's somewhat of a better pass rusher, but 
Good Lord, he couldn't stop the run to save his own life. Lawrence Guy is their number three defensive tackle. He is David Godshaw, exact same guy, and he's having a down year, believe it or not. He went from being a mediocre run defender to a pretty terrible run defender so far this year. And uh, last year, 15 pressures, two sacks on 251 attempts. So far this year, three pressures, no sacks on 39 attempts. So he is a sub 10% guy as well. Not good. After that is Carl Davis. He didn't play a ton for good reason. He's kind of terrible, still is. And then uh, Daniel Ikuale played 100 snaps last year. Three pressures, 77 attempts, terrible tackler, terrible run defender. There you go. So that's their rotation along the defensive line. Not horrible like the way I told you that Chicago's defensive tackles were. Or, you know, I bring that up just to just so you don't think we're going <laughs> to just run all over them because that hasn't necessarily been the case. Like when I told you Logan Hall has been terrible as a rookie so far and then he just completely decimated our offensive line, that whole thing. But just in general, that's where they're at. Same exact guys, but they're not that good. And then finally... The edge rushers. Matt Judon, number one pass rusher last year, is still there. It's his second year in New England after being a longtime Baltimore Raven. Last year, he had 64 pressures and 14 sacks out of 430 attempts. Obviously, that's quite solid. So far, he has 11 pressures on 88 attempts and three sacks. So he's picking up right where he left off. The dude, he gets pressures. He doesn't really grade out super well. Not a very good run defender. Pass rush grades aren't that great, but he's going to get numbers. So that's worth noting. Number two pass rusher, Dietrich Wise, is still there. He's a sub-10% pass rusher, so not super great there. And no, he's not a very good run defender, despite being 6'5", 275. He doesn't grade out very well in that category. So he's just kind of there, I guess. Now, nobody's going to say that because he has four sacks already on the season. He had four all of last year. That's kind of insane, but he's only got nine pressures. So 50% of his pressures turned into sacks so far this year. So I'm guessing if you ask around, because sacks are all anybody cares about, He's one of the top pass rushers in football right now. He's the same guy he's always been. I guess he's slightly higher again because he's actually at 10%, but it's such a small, you know, thing. Then you got Josh Uche, who was a second-round pick in 2020. He had about 10% last year, 17 pressures, 3 sacks on 161 attempts. So far, 4 pressures, 34 attempts, so he's kind of keeping that same track. The run defense has definitely improved this year so far, though. But again, 3 games. And then finally, Goldilocks, Chase Winovich who is a uh, guy that everybody said was going to be the greatest thing ever. Can't believe that they got him in the third round. He's this great, wonderful player. Well, in 2019, he had 23 pressures, 7 sacks on 234 attempts, then 47 pressures on 348 attempts, 6 sacks. Then he completely dropped off in 2021. And bottom line, they shipped him off to Cleveland this year, so he's gone. So the defensive front has largely stayed the same. The linebackers are gone. Their number one corner is gone. The safeties, similar to Green Bay, are kind of getting off to a slow start. I expect a rebound doesn't necessarily have to be this week, though. There really isn't anything, and this is kind of the important part. And, and remember, the, the whole point of this was they were simultaneously really good last year, but depending on how you look at it, they weren't very good at all last year. But the most important part is I don't think they got better anywhere. Maybe wide receiver, maybe running back if you're saying Ramondre took a step forward. Quarterback took a nosedive. Offensive line has gotten worse. Tight end has gotten worse. If you look at the defense, defensive line is the same. Edge rushers, the same. Linebackers, significantly worse. Corners, worse. Safeties, so far, a little bit worse, even though it's the same guys. But here's the thing, because I wanted today to be somewhat more negative before the next coming days come along, and I tell you how we're going to just annihilate them, and it's going to be great. So let's, let's end on a negative note, shall we? 
The game plan seems pretty straightforward for the New England Patriots. We run the ball fairly well. We have a really good running back duo, similar to the Packers. Very good running back duo, right? 4.5 yards per carry and 5 yards per carry are their running backs right now. Run the ball against Green Bay. Control the time of possession. Pick your spots with our pretty good wide receivers and probably a game manager quarterback. I'm assuming that's who they're going to go with because that would make the most sense. Pretty similar to what Tampa Bay did, right? Run the ball, although they have better running backs than Tampa Bay. Pick your spots with the wide receivers, although I think New England has better wide receivers considering what they were going through. Not as good of a quarterback, but, you know, all the same. On the other side of the ball, what are they going to do? Stop the run. Bill Belichick is a master of taking away what you do best, and what the Packers do best right now is running the ball. They're going to utilize whatever pile of talent they have to stop the run, and then they're going to bring the pressure with the pass rushers who are actually not that bad, including their one uh, defender, Barmore, on the inside. It's enough to get it done. It has, at the end of the day, it has to come down to execution. You're going to have to be able to get pressure against the Packers' offensive line, which seemingly is improving. I mean, at least as far as Bakhtiari hopefully coming back, staying back. Elton Jenkins, been a rough couple weeks. Hopefully week three, he kind of figures it out. You know, just, just time together helps. And you have to stop the run. You have to actually execute. Again, the linebackers aren't great. The defensive, the defensive tackles aren't the greatest, you know. But if you can do that, and then, you know, on top of all that, their DBs are not bad. So while they try to take that away and we try to throw the ball under pressure, granted, this isn't quite as good as Tampa Bay's DBs, but they're still pretty solid, especially with the safeties. Again, I know they're struggling, but I, I trust that these guys are going to figure it out. There's enough here to where you can see a situation where Packer fans and everybody in the media says this is going to be a steamrolling by the Packers, and it ends up being a really slow slugfest. And Packer fans are going, well, this team sucks. It shouldn't be this way. We should be steamrolling them. We should be winning, you know, whatever. And that just isn't necessarily the case. It's going to be a tough game because it's the NFL. And it's always tough games. I mean, we went up against the Bears, who are one of the worst teams in football. And the way that game started, you started to think, we might lose this game. Because that's how football goes. But talent at some point wins out. Because again, you're going to have to execute and do it for four quarters. And if you don't have the talent, you're not going to be able to hang on long enough. That's what we got to hope for against New England. We have the better players. We're at home. Over the course of four quarters, we'll find more points than you will. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.